episode 180 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 6th of June 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Speedboats for everyone. Craig. Hello. And Will. A caravan. <laughs> uh, for people who are not old or from the UK, you've probably got no idea what we're on about, but uh, I don't know, look up darts 180. Let's do some news then. The first one is the meetup that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago has been moved. So Alex from Self-Hosted, he is going to be in the UK, but the airline have pissed him around with his flights, and so he's having to do it a day earlier. So it's probably going to be on Friday, the 5th of August this year, in London somewhere. Venue still not decided, so don't book anything if you're coming from far away. Details to follow. We'll put a link in the show notes to the uh, meetup page, so uh, keep an eye on that. A quick update on Ingenuity, the Mars helicopter. NASA have released a video of a flight from April, which is pretty cool. And things are looking sort of all right still. We were a little bit worried that it might be dying in the Martian winter. Well, that is still on the cards, but it hasn't happened yet. I think that's brilliant news. And I know we talked about it. None of us really wanted to say, well, NASA said this kind of stuff before and those robots have carried on going for years and years and years. But I love the fact that there seems to be so much redundancy built into their hardware and software and things just keep going. Yeah, they do like to manage expectations and uh, under-promise and over-deliver. So hopefully we'll get more of that. But even if the winter takes out the electronics and that's it, it's still done way better than it was supposed to do and proven that Linux is up to the job of being a proper operating system for space flight. So well done, NASA, well done, Linux, and well done, everyone involved. I think it's worth noting as well on the uh, article that you linked to, that first picture of Ingenuity uh, is a, a really nice close-up, really high definition. You can see so much detail on it. It's a really beautiful picture. So check out the article just for that picture alone, I think. Have you been emailing them to tell them to put Tasmodo on the thing yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pharonix has turned 18 years old. I don't suppose there's anyone listening who doesn't know, but just in case, Pharonix is a website that covers news and benchmarks and reviews of various Linux hardware and software and just general Linux stuff. And it's a real valuable resource. And uh, Michael's article about the last 18 years is quite interesting to look back at some of the, the key things that have happened over the last 18 years. I think as I've stepped away from Linux news a little bit over the last couple of years, Pharonix's value seems to have increased to me. Previously, I found their community, or their, rather their commenters, to be quite abrasive and opinionated and wrong on a lot of things. Uh, but since I've stopped caring about what people write in the comment section and just read it for the articles, I think they do an amazing job of covering a lot of news in the right amount of depth. And I think it's a yeah, really valuable resource. I agree with you, Will. Um, I've had a kind of love-hate relationship with Pharonix as well over the years, but it's an incredible achievement, 18 years. And I must say that they were some of the first people to take Linux benchmarking and performance seriously. I mean, they had their own, still do have their own benchmarking suite, which is excellent. Um, and it was great. I remember at the time, however long ago it was, it was great to see um, Linux put through those kind of benchmarks in the same way that you expected Windows PCs to be um, and and be able to compare them. And the detail is also that he'd go into was really, really good, especially with NVIDIA hardware. Yeah, you two have been using the Royal Wii, but it's really just Michael Arabel, really. Yeah, yeah. Trying to respect uh, the brand because I'm sure he'd like it to be more than just him. Yeah. 
But I mean, he really works his bollocks off, doesn't he? Mm. Every day he posts new stuff. I don't know how he does it. And I'm appreciative of the fact that he's got a summary page near the end because I'm too lazy to read through all the benchmarks. Yeah, Yeah, but that detail's there if you want it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so well done for 18 years and uh, here's to another 18 years, at least. All right, it's time to bash Mozilla again. No, hang on. (laughs) It's not. It's time to say, well done, Mozilla. They've collaborated with the University of Edinburgh, Charles University, the University of Sheffield, and the University of Tartu as part of a project funded by the European Union. Well, we don't like them, do we? Not on this show. I do. <laughs> I know you do, Philly. <laughs> well, the bottom line is they got some funding, and now there's a, an official add-on which does translation locally. So no needing to send it to Google or Microsoft servers to translate web pages. This is exactly the sort of thing that Mozilla should be working on. We should be able to, you know, put an, a stamp of approval on these things. You know, LNL approved <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mozilla project. Um, I, I definitely, it's exactly the right thing they should be doing. There's so many other things they could be doing in a similar vein, but I won't go down there. It's great. I haven't had a chance to try it, um, but I hate the way that you know translations are often monetized and scraped for everything. Um, and it's 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 great knowing that you can do it offline on your with your own data at home for whatever purpose. Yeah, it is a little bit limited. There aren't many languages at this point, but they are encouraging people to get involved and hopefully increase the number of languages, which is good. Yeah, it's like this and Open Voice. They're two great projects, that and the browser. It's like if they just concentrate on those things, we wouldn't have to kick them so much all the time. Yeah, those sorts of things. Yeah. They do have a password manager. I I think that's an important thing. Bookmark sync as well. Um, oh, and Pocket. I really wish they... <laughs> Is that open source? Yes, Joe. No, <laughs> no I'm not going to go there. Sorry. <laughs> well, I've actually tried this translation, and it's pretty good. It's a little bit slow, and it does peg one of your CPU threads. But, you know, it's not sending shit to the cloud. What do you expect? It takes a bit of work to translate stuff. And it seems to be pretty good from what I could tell. I haven't translated big, long documents or anything, but I went to a German radio station website and it all made enough sense. I mean, it's never going to be 100%, is it? But you're never going to get that with any machine translation. No, and it's what I like about open source as well is that we have some kind of shared ownership in the data in the same way that we do with OpenStreetMap or with Wikipedia, which means you can kind of invest your time in it like you did all those years ago with IMDB without knowing that it's going to get pulled from underneath you or sold to some other company. You know, I trust Mozilla to do the right thing with this. And it's really nice that it's very much like Chrome. If you've got it installed, it just pops up as and when required and asks you, do you want to translate this? And then you click the button. And it takes a little while, but then it just changes into the the language that you want it to be. And people take that for granted in Chrome. But in Firefox, you've always had to do it with some sort of add-on. I'd like to see this become just part of Firefox, I think. Yeah. I wonder what the legality of training it with other online translators is. <laughs> you know, maybe they can just leave it running for six months and they'll have a perfect model. Well, anyway, well done, Mozilla. All right, Phelim, it's time for you to have a go at DuckDuckGo. Ha ha, ha 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 told you so. Every time someone says, oh, you should use DuckDuckGo, I say no, because they are outside the jurisdiction of the EU. Therefore, 
they can be held by their various intelligence agencies to do whatever. But no, it turns out it's Microsoft has made a search deal with them and therefore said, yeah, you can't block our trackers. And they've gone, okay, because, you know, they're brilliant and they protect your privacy. Well, to be very, very clear here, on DuckDuckGo.com, the website, they do block Microsoft trackers. It's only in their browser, which is available for Android and iOS and Mac OS. And they pimp no matter where you go. You can't help but be told you should be using it. But nobody does. <laughs> well, they do also make the point in their responses to this controversy that it's still better than most other browsers for blocking tracking. Yeah, but you know what? It isn't better than Firefox. But, you know, Firefox are terrible at doing marketing and therefore they never get this out there. So why use a browser that's based on Chromium when you could actually use Firefox? That's what I would say to people. And stop using Chromium. You just wanted to gloat about this because of your start page usage. Do you still use them? Oh no, didn't they get bought and so you don't use them anymore? No, I kind of use them. Yeah, they're, they're handy because they uh, are essentially Google, which has the best search engine, but they proxy it through their through European company. So it's all sort of, I guess we have to believe that it is not being siphoned somewhere. But I, do I believe that? Probably not. I think I've got the answer for you, actually. I have a first edition copy of the Internet Yellow Pages. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm on the cusp of saying, well, maybe I should use something like that. There's only a few pages I go to anyway. It's fascinating. It's really good. It's like... Very nefarious Usenet groups. Uh, (laughs) A gopher and Archie stuff. Oh, Jesus. Well, Brave is another company that prides itself on privacy. Ha, 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 (laughs) ha. Yes, they had a bit of a gaffe this week. Atrocious is what I think you should call it. So it turns out that they've been doing old school mail marketing, like through the post where a person carries a piece of paper to your house and puts it through your letterbox. And they've been working with a marketing company who fucked up and started putting people's names on these spam leaflets that they were putting through people's stores. And people didn't like that at all, because it says new Brave user, and then name of the person, or current resident, and then your address. And it says, browse faster, search privately, all in a single click. And also there's a quote, Brave is a browser that is built to be privacy safe from Forbes. <laughs> so, yeah, good source, guys. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, the argument here is that like people having your name and address is um, is a bad thing. Now, the obvious argument to that is, well, you know, in the UK anyway, it's on the electoral roll, or at least it can be on the electoral roll. It's not really top secret information. But Sebastian, who who posted the, the photo to Twitter, puts his point across to say that Brave paying this company to use that data is supporting the whole industry of, you know, direct mailing and that sort of thing. And I think that that is a fair point. If Brave care enough about privacy that, you know, that's their whole shtick, then they should not be funding direct mailing with names and addresses from um, from public sources. And I thought the response from the Brave guy who was in that thread, now I don't know how up the chain he is, I don't know, but it seemed a bit tone deaf and he wasn't exactly reading the room very well either. It's like, you can't see that this is an issue, no? He was sort of defending themselves a bit too much, if you ask me. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's a browser that's based on magic coins and beans. So, I mean, I don't see why we should expect anything worse than this. I don't think they've actually done anything wrong as such. Like Will said, that is publicly 
available information. And yeah, they've sent out spam and that's a bit shit, but it's, you know, it's not like they are targeting people. They just went through the fucking phone book or the electoral register and sent it to a bunch of people. And yeah, it's not a great look, but how else are they going to reach normal people with a message about privacy on the internet? People who don't look at Reddit and the tech press generally, how do you reach those people? Either through invasive tracking technology or a blanket mail-out. But the optics still aren't great for them. Broadcom is acquiring VMware for $61 billion. And VMware customers, certainly the smaller ones, are a little bit worried. Yeah, anybody who uses SaltStack is also caught in that because VMware bought SaltStack a while ago too. So, hmm, let's see how that goes. So the concern is that Broadcom aren't really interested in the small customers. Because generally how it goes with companies like VMware is they've got a small number of very big customers and then a large number of smaller customers. And Broadcom generally don't give a shit about the smaller customers because it's not really worth it for them. So the research and development funds and everything only go into things that will benefit that small number of customers. And my friend Drew tweeted, as a heavy VxRail customer, I'm scared by the VMware acquisition. I asked him why, and he said, Broadcom is a strip-for-profit company. Rates get jacked up, services get slashed, and the product falters. The thing I worry about this is the fact that Microsoft has kind of pulled the blind there with Office 365 sucking in companies who may have had their own mail servers and are now, oh yeah, we'll just stick it in 365. And now this will like come along and shake that so much that maybe they'll start pushing more towards Azure as well. I mean, obviously, I know there's other stuff out there, but it all just seems to play nicely for them because the amount of people shifting their email over to that, I mean, what servers next and stuff. So anybody who had anything on-premise that was using VMware, that's that's probably all gone there too. Could it be an opportunity for other companies? Could it push people towards more of a a traditional kind of Linux stack for failing or even more containerization, virtualization support for other platforms? Yeah, Linux KVM is absolutely fantastic product that could easily do the same thing that VMware does with various tools on top. I just worry that the types of places that might be purely Windows have never touched Linux in their life would be looking for a product solution and someone's going to say, we'll convert all your VMware stuff over to Azure, bang, there you go, job done. I'm coming at this from a different angle. I think it will be quite interesting to see what Broadcom do with virtualization on ARM and um, virtualized hardware server, big racks of servers running VMware for an on-prem cloud solution. I think that that would significantly lower the cost for a a large cloud deployment on-premises, and VMware seems well-positioned to be the sort of controlling software there. So I don't know enough about VMware and their business case. Um, If Drew says that he's worried, then I absolutely believe him. But I do think there's an opportunity for ARM hardware and VMware teaming up here to provide a a new solution for on-prem cloud. Well, everything I've read suggests that they're not really interested in synergy between the two companies. They just want more recurring revenue from a software division. It would seem to make sense that they would combine forces, but the people who seem to know what they're talking about don't think they're going to, so we'll have to see. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, 
It's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Support for Intel's new software-defined silicon has made its way into the Linux kernel. And this is something that I've been watching for a while. And it essentially boils down to Intel shipping hardware that has features that can be unlocked via software, presumably if you pay them a bit more money for it. This seems like a weird thing to come into Linux to me. Yeah, I think they can stick this idea up their ass, but clearly they (laughs) haven't done. On the one hand, I think that it's a horrible thing. But on the other hand, I sort of understand the economies of chip fabrication that if you're able to standardize, reduce the the number of layouts and the number of chips that you design, and you're able to design one chip and then sell it many times over at various levels, then it probably makes sense. It, it, It probably affects the bottom line, lowers the cost overall, and is probably okay for customers. But I just, I just hate that. I um, just hate that whole like pay for features concept. We've kind of had it in a way for a while in the way that you could unlock multipliers with bridging pins and stuff like that on old CPUs. And I hope it's not going to be like unlocking different speeds and FSB multipliers like back in the old days for new CPUs. Because you basically, you've got the fastest chip that's crippled. I mean, it's a bit like that, I suppose, with Apple's M1 chips. But also the worrying part of it is how is how does Intel control that unlock process? I, that'll mean a completely secret part of the die that we can't access in any way. If we do access it and manage to hack around it, is that legal? It's your own hardware? I don't know. I think it's naive to think it's not going to happen, but I hate it as well. I've had so much luck with Windows keys. I can't wait till my <laughs> processor key fucking blanks itself. <laughs> to me, in my head, it just doesn't seem, well, environmentally sound, whatever. I don't know. Like, why mm. are they making something so complicated and then giving you the shite bit? What happens if we all only bought the shit version? Will they then go bust that they've spent all this extra effort building the better processor? I mean, I'm no economics person, but that just doesn't seem... I mean, they're hoping that everybody buys and upgrades as they go. But, like, what if they don't? Does that mean that they've wasted all this effort? I don't know. Stupid. And yes, I hate it too. They did do this before in 2010, and it didn't last long, but for some of the uh, desktop chips, you could unlock a higher frequency and more cache and stuff. I can kind of understand from a QA process where, you know, you might make a processor that doesn't quite cut it to go up to the max levels. In theory, it could, but they've said, well, no, it's slightly better in the i5 level or whatever. And then, you know, if you want to take the risk, then yeah, maybe they should allow that. But ah, just it's just so wrong to do this, I think. I hope AMD isn't doing it. Come on, AMD, don't ruin it on me now. (laughs) Maybe if they take the approach that the cheaper versions are kind of subsidized by the more expensive versions, I could perhaps accept it all the way that the K versions of their CPUs were kind of more unlockable. 
at least if they were transparent about it, I, I, I would be prepared to spend more and have everything unlocked. Oh, I don't know. But it's the same with Tesla and absolutely everything seems to be going this way, just a single piece of hardware and then unlock. Yeah, because it's presumably going to be a single piece of hardware and then not just pay you one off $50 to unlock it, but mm. pay us $10 a month oh, to unlock it. Jesus, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Pies are starting to look more and more powerful by the day. <laughs> yeah, ultimately, I, I hate subscription models and I've gone out of my way to avoid them all with the exception of Netflix. Did you not run a subscription magazine, Graham? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was that your master plan all along? Do we not have patrons that pay us $10 every month? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> we love subscription models here at Layback Linux. <laughs> but in all of those cases, you access the entire back catalogue and you get to keep it. I bet, and it's new stuff. Like, yeah. yeah, I could completely see that. But it's not like my processor is getting better every fucking month. Mm. Yeah, it's not like they're doing any extra effort. It's basically blackmail. I wouldn't go as far as to say blackmail. It's more more of a sort of higher purchase thing. More like, you know, getting a telly from Radio Rentals. Oh, I can't wait for the Free Software Foundation's catchy, catchy program they'll have on this. <laughs> You've just reminded me, my mum rented a television for about 20 years, the same CRT, and when she said, I don't want to do it anymore, they tried to sell it to her. <laughs> <laughs> But at least with the K-series processors, you are paying more for it once. And so you know what you're getting. You're getting a, an overclockable, unlocked CPU, whereas the non-K version, you know you can't do that with. And so you just pay a little bit less for it. Whereas this is more of a hedge of your bets, isn't it? It's more like, well, I'll pay the little bit less, and then if I want to unlock it at some point down the road, then I'll just pay the extra however many dollars. It'd be funny if they make a bags of the encryption on it, and it actually is easily crackable. <laughs> I could see that happening. There's some very, very clever people out there. Yeah, and there's some kind of moral, I don't want to say there's a moral righteousness to doing it, but basically all those people with the manufacturing costs have already been spent and they've got this undercapacity performance sitting in their machines. Well, it'd be a bit like when the Blu-ray standard got cracked and then people were just posting that key all over. Well, it wasn't Twitter back then, but it was... T-shirts. Yeah. yeah, I could see something like that. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We very much appreciate it, your uh, subscription there. <laughs> such a great salesman. We like people who pay subscriptions. We don't like the subscription services themselves. <laughs> if you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And like I said, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Linux After Dark. And do check out Linux Downtime. We had a great discussion recently about reimagining the Linux desktop, and we think it might end up being the first of uh, several discussions on that. So yeah, linuxdowntime.com. That was a good, a good show, that one. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do a quick KDE corner then. The first one is KDE is going to be a Google Summer of Code participant. Yeah, I'm not Google's greatest fan, but Summer of Code is definitely one of those good things out there. And they've got a few projects. Uh, loads of people are working on various things and NeoChat is going to get spaces. There's going to be permissions work for Flatpak and Snap and Discover. Uh, Digicam's getting OCR and image quality um, algorithm filters. Plasma settings are getting ported over to QT Quick. Gcompris getting a whole lot of stuff, uh, including a programmable tux that's a bit like Logo. And uh, Krita is getting a Lips tool and SVG converter to help it work with Inkscape. So that's quite cool. Loads of stuff there. What the fuck is a lips tool? Is it not drawn like a... It's not a circle. It's a squish circle. 
I don't know. A pixel perfect ellipse is apparently an important thing. I, look, don't ask me. Oh, an ellipse tool. I thought you said lips tool. No, not lips tool. I thought you meant it was like for making Rolling Stones logos or something. Or getting down to Funky Town. What was that one? Lip Sync. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, a bit more serious, uh, Lightmoon is not Caden Live. It's a scam and it's malware. Yeah, it's, uh, you know you're popular now and there's scamware going out to ape you, so that's quite good. Um, yeah, so don't ever use that. <laughs> yeah, it seems to have been dealt with. I think it was on various um, app stores or whatever, but it's uh, it's been dealt with now. But uh, Yeah. Yeah, if you're going to get Caden Live, always go to the official source if you can, or make sure it's actually called Caden Live and from the proper KDE developers. Yeah. So there was a KDE Eco Sprint last month. Yeah, um, and for anybody who was kind of wondering what they're on about when they were doing this, uh, so Volker Kraus has a post, as does uh, Nicholas Fella, and they were doing <laughs> some testing using a cheap eight euro. Uh, Wi-Fi power plug to try and work out whether it was any good and they got they compared it with some actually high-end kit that was very much like testing kit and discovered that actually yeah the Wi-Fi plug actually wasn't that bad in the long run and th- they're looking to improve that work but it's doing things like even moving the mouse around while you're you're running applications will actually then spike the power usage and stuff but they're trying to work on various things trying to see that they can improve the general power efficiency of software and can be only be a good thing in the future. Just for Will, they also were wondering if they could use Tasmota firmware. I'm pretty sure that that plug they use does support it. They should try it. Yeah, you should get in touch. There you see, you can finally get to help a decent project. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and KITinery has got some updates. It has, as we get more and more back to travel land. uh, They are working on passes and programs, they called, which is for people who have advantage passes, like a, a cheaper fare on your cards. It can identify that when it parses in the various tickets for trains or whatever that you're using and it can then flag up the information for you so when you're getting your ticket scanned you can get the uh, discount or whatever that you're on for the day they talk about how they had to deal with the google play uh, nonsense about the fact that only uh, national governments or health institutions can store health certificates and that's why they aren't going to be able to upgrade the version that's in Google Play. And if you do use Kitinery, you should use the F-Droid one realistically if you want to get any of the new features without them having to split it into two separate applications, which is kind of a bit of a pain in the arse and kind of shows you where maybe sometimes the bigger stores aren't that good. But they're going to take effect of the KCalendar Core, JNI and KWeather stuff that's coming to the back end. So their infrastructure is going to improve as they go. And uh, they've got more document extractors for the various things like the UK train stations. So if you were making a support of your prime minister on the train, you'll know what station you can get off at next. (laughs) And uh, they've fixed a whole of their indoor map geometry stuff. So if you're going in some of the horrific airports that are out there, like Charles de Gaulle looking at you and you have to get to a different gate, uh, they can help you out with that one, hopefully. So some good stuff. All right. KDE goals. We talked about this before. Wayland? I thought Wayland was like a first-class citizen on KDE these days. No, this talk was quite interesting. So they got a guy, his name is Maven, I think. I'm sorry if I mispronounced it, but we have Adam Sospa interviewing him again, and this is for their gold champions thing. And uh, they'd say that Wayland is sort of beta quality at this point. It's definitely got some use cases that it is perfect for, 
like uh, automotive and things like that, or somebody who has a single screen laptop that needs fractional scaling. Yeah, and doesn't need any sort of remote desktop. Yeah, those type of areas, perfect. But for various areas, like, as you say, remote desktop or multi-screen and things like that, and some of the applications that might not support it, it's definitely not there yet. But the interesting I thought was quite good is that they want people to try it out as much and they've got a very active Reddit community, which I thought was quite interesting. And if people want to get involved and are on Reddit and want to try stuff out, it's quite an easy way to help out and try stuff. And they're pinging people back all the time to get them to try different stuff and things like that. So quite cool. All right. And a job vacancy for furthering KDE in app stores. Yeah. So this is to get it in Flathub, Windows, Mac, Android, part-time 20 hours per week it's a payable job and if you look at the pdf they've got available there and you think it meets your qualifications then i would apply within right well links to that and everything else in the show notes then but we better get out of here so we can find out whether johnson's going to stay or not blatantly is even though he almost lost but anyway we'll be back next week when we'll be talking about our discoveries and some of your feedback but until then i've been joe i've been phelan i've been graham i've been will See you later.